I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. Those are the first six verses and the last four verses of Psalm 18, the first 20 verses of which are appointed as the psalm for today, Thursday, October the 14th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, your host. We are looking at Jeremiah again today in the 38th chapter, the first 13 verses. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 33a and verses 37 to 40, along with Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. So it's um, Jeremiah, remember, had been um, giving a word and and they thought, for whatever reason, because he was going out to Benjamin to receive his portion, his property there, that he was uh, due for by, by his birthright. They they thought he was um, leaving and defecting to the Chaldean army, which was besieging the city, and so they arrested him. And then he gave a word to the king that that nothing would be done to avert the disaster that had been prophesied through Jeremiah. So. They, they, he, he was pleading for his life with the king at that point because he knew that there were those who wanted to put him to death. So here we go with today's um, lessons that begin with Jeremiah, and it gets worse for Jeremiah. Now, Shephathiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Peshur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Peshur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. And what he was saying was this, Thus says the Lord, He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. So Jeremiah is telling them, Don't resist this. There's, there, the resistance is futile. The Lord's ordained what's going to happen next, and you, you need to do your best to save yourself, and that is to allow yourselves to be taken as captives. We need to give up this, this battle to save Jerusalem because it can't be saved. The Lord has decreed the judgment already. And so the officials then come to the king, let this man be put to death, for he's weakening the hands of the soldiers who were left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. And so what what they're saying is, is that he's weakening the resolve of the soldiers to continue fighting for the city. And Jeremiah is simply telling the truth that he received from God, which is, which is it doesn't matter. If you want to live, then surrender. 
this is the way it's going to go. And he's not speaking from a military standpoint. He's speaking from a truth standpoint, because the Lord has revealed to, the, to him how this will go. And his commitment to that is such that he's willing to risk his life by saying these things. So Zedekiah said, Behold, he's in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. Now, he had been held in the court of the guard already, and there was no water in the cistern but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. I mean, how miserable does it get? I mean, this guy's doing God's work, and he's already in prison, and now they're going to put him into a cistern, into a place that's that's intended to catch rainwater and hold that water, and so that it's dry in there as far as water goes, but there's mud, and so now Jeremiah is let down into this cistern, and he's sinking in the mud. Then when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting at the Benjamin gate. Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, what is the deal with Ethiopian eunuchs? I mean, it's absolutely amazing how important they are in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that they would have served Candace, the emperor, empress there. And so that, that typically, whenever in, in pagan lands at least, when there were um, queens, frequently there would be eunuchs serving her, and, and that was to keep them in line. They wouldn't then tend to be rebellious against their mistress. And remember, too, that you see eunuchs in one other place that I can think of right offhand, and those are the eunuchs who are surrounding Jezebel, the ones who end up tossing her off the, the wall of the city where she's hiding in Samaria. And so it, it, it's interesting that God continues to use these Ethiopian eunuchs. And I, I used to have a video that, that showed the waxing and waning of Christianity around the globe after the time of Jesus. And, and it's interesting because you can see in places where, where the gospel flourishes and then, and then the Muslims come in and, and then it gets suppressed. And so it waxes and wanes through the centuries over time. There's one place that remains really constant, and that's Ethiopia. There's so many incredible things that that God did in preserving Ethiopia because of the faithfulness of some of these people, and, the, and, for, and that's where they believe that the Ark of the Covenant is there. There's a place in Ethiopia that absolutely is sure <laughs> that they guard the Ark of the Covenant. Recently, there were a group of people who tried to come up and take it, and the entire village rose up against them and <laughs> drove them out. I, the Ethiopian, there, there's there's something there. That, that they're constantly appearing in Scripture. And so the, the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, <coughs> um, take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe in the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn-out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. These are those odd sort of... Um, pieces of information that you read and you think, well, why am I told this? Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the robes. And so he's, he's basically, he's not just going to get him out of there. He's also going to make sure that he's, he's taken out as gently as he possibly can. So he's going to put these, these rags and clothes under his arms so that the ropes don't chafe against him. But why are we told that weird little detail. And so Jeremiah did so, and they drew him up by the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah remained 
in the court of the guard, which which is where he had been and where the cistern was as well. I mean, if you're expecting to receive praise and applause from people whenever you speak the word of the Lord, then then you've gotten something badly wrong because God's promises, in fact, that it isn't going to go well. There will be rejection, and Jesus' rejection and crucifixion is the very proof of that. And, and so that's what he's talking about. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a straight-up statement that, that is impossible to get around. Family is incredibly important, and what Jesus is saying, if you think back to the commandments, if you think back to Exodus 20 and think back to the commandments, what is the primary commandment? It's to love the Lord your God, right? I mean, so it, it, it's, it's um, Deuteronomy 6, but it's also embedded in the law. The first commandments regard God, they have our duty towards God, and then only in the fourth commandment do we get honor your father and mother. So it's always been the case. Jesus is not changing our priorities. What he is doing is pointing to himself, though, and saying, I'm the one in the first commandments. Your father and mother come after me because I'm God. I mean, it's a powerful statement. It's, it's impossible it would have been for a Jew to overlook that uh, at the time. It would be absolutely impossible. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Your primary duty is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And your parents actually kind of come in between those two things. Jesus points to himself and says, whoever loves father or mother more than me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That makes perfect sense to us. That last statement does. But it wouldn't have made a bit of sense to them. Not at this time. They would have had no earthly idea that that's how this was going to end, was taking up a cross. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus lost his life for your sake. But then he takes it up again as well. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Again, he's pointing back to, I'm the emissary of the Father. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Because we're embracing the truth of God, is what he's saying. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so we need to have our eyes wide open, and we need to receive those whom God sends to us. Even as Christians, we need to be able to be those people and be discerning about who it is that God sends. We need to be discerning also about false prophets at the same time. But here, Jesus is, is making an enormous statement about himself when he points to loving him more than mother and father and son and daughter. In the epistle today, Paul's continuing to talk about tongues and gifts of the Spirit and all that. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, he's going to tell them, these are instructions for worship from Paul. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So everybody brings something to the table, is what Paul says. This is not an order for worship. 
But he says everybody needs to bring something to the table because everybody's got something to give to this assembly. It's interesting because at the, towards the end of this, that well, the last uh, verse that we're going to read today, all things should be done decently and in order. Um, I had somebody come to me one time, not just once, I've heard it many, many times in, in Episcopal slash Anglican world, that, and want to quote that, all things being done decently and in order. And, and what the intention of that is, is to support whatever order the church has or whatever order you prefer. And it's true in every denomination that things are, you know, there's an expected order of worship, and we can pretty much tell what it's going to be week after week after week. Um, There's not going to be much deviation from that, and that's perfectly fine. But the problem is we need to leave room (laughs) for God to do something else and to say something else through somebody else in some cases. But but we've all, we, we will spiritualize our argument against another form of worship or another uh, uh, something happening in worship by using that argument. But listen to Paul's argument for what is decently and in order. If anybody speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, so not at one time, not at the same time, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So what Paul's saying is the first thing that I would say is that people who, who have a, a, a word to speak in a tongue can go ahead and give that as long as there's somebody there to interpret it. But it's got to be done decently and in order. This doesn't sound like any liturgy for a church I've ever been in of any denomination. But, but this is what Paul's saying is, is that let these things be done in decently and in order. So if somebody's got a tongue, then, then let them give that tongue, two or three of those. But, but ha- somebody has to be there to interpret it. If there's nobody there to interpret tongues, nobody who has that gift present today, then no. That, you just keep silent with that. And then he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what's said. The other prophets is what he is intended to say. If revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So if one supersedes another, then, then the first guy can say, oh, okay, I got the interpretation of that wrong. And, and sometimes the interpretation of prophecy is not given to the prophet himself or herself. For all, You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. And, and that's the truth, because truth brings peace. Whenever truth is accepted, then we have peace in the church. We have peace in ourselves whenever we fully accept the truth of a prophetic word. And so here what Paul's saying is is that, that let two or three of them speak, but let it be done decently and in order, in order that you all may learn and be encouraged. But then the subject of the pro- the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, they, they have to be discerned whether these are true and accurate words for the church or is the prophet prophesying out of his own spirit. As in all the churches of the saints, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So don't listen to somebody who tells you that what I'm saying is just my opinion. No, it's, it's a command of the Lord. So don't let anybody circumvent this. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. Even if somebody comes to you and says he's a prophet, he needs to recognize my authority as that what I'm giving you is coming from the Lord himself. If anyone does, rec- does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but 
all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul's order for worship and our order for worship don't tend to be the same. We, we tend to have one person who gives a message, everybody else sings, everybody else joins in some of the prayers, they join in also in the creed, but mostly it's a performance by one person, and then other people may read scripture, and, and then the choir, or the worship praise team, bringing us all together. It doesn't mean any of that's wrong, I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is is that it may be, just maybe, we need to allow people to do more than congregate in worship. Maybe there's a place for all God's people to have a, a part and a role, like the Ethiopian eunuchs have a part and a role in God's redemptive plans. And then we also need to always receive prophets and righteous people as though they were. We need to embrace that in our lives and in our worship, and not just a professional class.